My divorce was very sudden and unexpected. Author and poet, Michelle T. And I really was like, oh, we're married, so we'll be married forever. You know, like I really did believe that. So it was very shocking. Instead of thinking of it being cliche, I'll just think of it being universal. (laughs) How's that? Welcome to Awaken, a podcast from the Rubin Museum of Art about the dynamic path to enlightenment and what it means to wake up. I'm singer and songwriter, Falu. At the Rubin, a museum dedicated to art from the Himalayas, we believe art can nurture awakening. This season, we delve into the notion of life after, those big transitional moments throughout our lives that propel us into the unknown. We have gathered artists, writers, scientists, poets, Buddhist teachers, and others to explore the key events and characteristics of a human life, from birth to death and everything in between, as well as grapple with the ultimate mystery, the afterlife. Their stories offer insights on how to approach change with openness, even amid possible grief or joy, fear or excitement. And with art from the Rubin Museum as the connecting thread, we can make even better sense of those changes. Because art has the ability to wake us up to what is possible. In this episode, conflict. I don't know about you, But when I hear the word conflict, an immediate sense of disconnect comes up. As highly respected Tibetan Buddhist meditation teacher and author, Yongye Mingyo Rinpoche says, There's no flexibility, no openness, no connection, independence. So then it becomes conflict comes. I mean, the opposite of awareness, love and compassion, wisdom, then slowly, slowly, problem comes in the family, in the work, in the social settings, it it may go everywhere. And yet, we know that it is often in moments of conflict, in say, our darkest moments, that insight comes, that a new sense of what is right or what is needed comes. It takes bravery and awareness to allow oneself to see that and to be open to the learnings of conflict. But if we can, then the learning can be all the deeper. And there are many kinds of conflicts between people, between nations, within ourselves. Author and poet Michelle T. speaks about a conflict that comes with a breakup. We were polyamorous, and that happened because, basically because my spouse had cheated on me. There's conflict in the in the individual brain, you know, there can be competing, competing needs and mechanisms. Neuroscientist, Dr. K. Tai can illustrate how conflict presents itself in our mind. There's some cognitive dissonance, but I often think of conflicts as in between individuals and how we decide to view ourselves as either, you know, what's our alignment with this other social, this social being? Are we allies? Are we adversaries? Are we, you know, the, you know, are we, how, how, what is the, what is the premise for our interaction? Is this going to be a collaboration? Is this going to be a competition? All the things that come up in relationships. Those sort of preset expectations are going to have huge impacts in coloring subsequent interactions. 
I really just didn't think they were a person who would do that. It, it seemed really counter to the way they presented themselves and the way they spoke about commitment and marriage and us. So it was really shocking. But when the debris settled a little bit, you know, there, there was part of me that could, of course, understand that, like, God, that, you know, they just sort of like bottomed out to the 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 temptation of just getting to be new for somebody, getting to be the new person and feeling those dopamine vibes from a new connection and being with someone who sees them, you know, they're not the parent. They're just like this new dazzling creature. So I had a lot of compassion for that. So one morning when we were having breakfast uh, after they had been out partying the night before, they were like, this girl wanted to make out with me in the bathroom last night. And I was like, oh my God, you know, did you do it? And they were like, well, I told her that I had to talk to my wife. And I was like, well, that's ridiculous. Like how, that's not even possible. Like you're there at the bar, I'm in bed sleeping. Like you can't, you know, that's either a yes, this is a yes or no question in that moment for you. And you said no. And I was like, you could have done it. And they said, well, she gave me her phone number. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute. That's very different. That's not like two ships passing in the night. That's like a ship that just like docked at your port. You know, you have her phone number. And I was like, well, that's like dating people. That means you're going to set up a date. Do you, are we going to date people? Do you want to do that? And then they met somebody that they really liked. And things got really confusing. I had so much going on. I was jealous, which I expected that I would be. And I was really wanting to handle that. Like, I didn't expect that polyamory would be like this, like, oh, everything's fine and nothing, you know, no one ever is jealous. And so I was sort of left to my own devices and started sort of downward spiraling. Well, usually we don't always have control of that, right? It's It's like we're just sucked into the dance. Meditation teacher and author, Spring Washam. It's like Alice in Wonderland, we just slip, you know, we slip on a banana peel and then we start descending. All right, we start the descent. And I think of it as an important time because usually we are available, you know, everything stops at this time usually. You know, it's like we're dancing and then everything comes to a grinding halt. There's really something jarring when we enter into the death phase. Like, you know, that's why often people get sick or they're injured. What happens? Physically, you can't move. It just got to the point where I was anxious all the time. I knew something bad was going on in my marriage and my my ex just wouldn't acknowledge it and would just deny it, deny, 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 and be like, you know, you need to calm down, like... Basically, like you're crazy, you know, and so it, I was like, okay, I'm crazy then. And I I got into therapy, you know, and I was in therapy doing like, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time handling this. Buddhist teacher and author, Yongyi Mingyo Rinpoche. An unexpected thing comes normally, but if you're expecting I'm going to divorce and this happen and and suddenly divorce, of course, there's a part of the moment, but not so clear. Despite how uncomfortable this all was, Michelle was in this valuable moment. The bardo can be any transitional space in between two points, and it offers a moment where the possibility for insight or awakening is amplified. So in that time, if you recognize mind beyond concept for wire, and whatever we believe, this solidity, all this kind of like grasping everything, for a while stops. I 
was hoping for some illumination, but I was really shocked when they were like, I don't want to be romantic with Michelle anymore. Like they didn't even say it to me. They like said it to my, to the, to, to my therapist as I was sitting there and I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. I feel like I'm like hovering above my body. I just sobbed. There was so much grief and sadness, but there was also so much relief. And that is a big moment there. And that stays, this Bardo effect, again, ripple effect stays days and even months. And those moments in that time, what we call, there's great opportunity to connect with our innate quality, the innate well-being. So we can really grow new things. We can grow. We can really learn something. We can really transform something. If you bring awareness, if you recognize that, if you embrace that, there's a lot of teaching how to practice with awareness, love and compassion and wisdom in that moment. And then you can cut through the your imprint, like habitual patterns, all this that, that comes together from the past can be cut easily, more easily during those moments. I think that I had really internalized their avoidance of me, that they had been sort of romantically, sexually, emotionally avoidant of me for a while. And I think I interpreted it, and this is all happening on such a subconscious level, of course, but I think I, and the way that I sort of like metabolized it was as if like I was somehow toxic or repulsive. That's where our trauma is. That's where, you know, we go deep into the body because our body is where we're storing all this stuff. You know, everything that happens, we just stick it down and the body will absorb it for years until it can't, it can't hold it. You know, it has to release. So we need space and time. So sometimes these dark night of the souls afford us this opportunity and, and, and really we're in the dance with they call of no hope. So everything's going to happen <laughs> on its own time frame. So best to just surrender, try not to fight, but I understand the desire to fight. It was like, got so dark so quickly, but you know, I came back out of it. You know, I hope to not feel that again, <laughs> but you know, it's there. We have, we have these alarm systems for a reason. So I do hope that, you know, next time, I'm in a situation where that that rises up that I just do know to trust it. So I do hope to always <laughs> choose my own reality, you know? I mean, one takeaway is, you know, impermanence, right? It, it is impermanence. And I knew that even, you know, at the time that was something where I just was like, okay, well, you know, it's not anyone's responsibility to be with you forever. The reminder of impermanence that all of this, the joy, the pain, all of it is finite, is so important. We often forget about it in our day-to-day, but there are those moments when we are reminded that all of life is an evolution, and conflict is a reminder of that impermanence. Poet Murray Howe. I was talking to a very close friend whose mother has dementia and how difficult it is for her, for any of us, dealing with parents who, who don't remember anything, who then do remember all the, the, the inconsistencies of it all and how one day is gonna be so different from the next and how hard that is for her. And uh, someone in my life is struggling in other ways and that are very serious and I'm constantly thinking about her as well. And what I said to my friend is, isn't it difficult? The difficult thing for me is not to wish for it to be over. 
Like just to really be every day, every hour, just keep, just live, you know, without trying to, um, because it does change, everything changes. Sometimes things seem, especially when there's something going on with someone like that, that, but that, I don't know how to say this. I just, I just don't, I want to learn that every, every minute is really not to be rejected and not to be sort of, uh, you know how you sort of cross your arms and hold your breath and just to get through it. I don't want to do that. There's a sense of what we call permanent. This is the way, this is a shoot. My right, I'm here. And suddenly someone cuts that. Then the, 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 the mind of controlling is not there. Mind of consistency, the permanent just 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 is interrupt and then the I have to be the first was a loss <laughs> so when we hurts like that what what do we have to do of course that thing happens of course maybe first important is we try to understand maybe that person having emergency who knows maybe that person doesn't see you Maybe that person really mean, maybe try to do that. So many different factors, so many cause conditions. When I think about this pattern, right, of the intuition and then the doubting and the sticking around and finding out, like in one way, it's like, oh, I'm. there's one way of looking at it where I'm like, oh gosh, I'm not learning my lesson. But then sometimes I think, no, what you learned somehow in spite of it all is that you have to keep trusting people that relationships actually don't work if you don't trust people. And part of trusting people is that they can get away with lying to you, <laughs> right? It's like, there's no, you can't necessarily, I don't know how to have it both ways, you know? It's it's really hard. So sometimes it feels like, damn it, this is like my core weakness. And, you know, I'm always going to give someone a chance in spite of my internal alarm bells ringing. And then sometimes I think, oh my God, that's amazing that you can still give people chances after all the times that your internal alarm bells have rung. When we bring more awareness into that and connect with the loving kindness, compassion to learn, to grow wisdom, a lot of problems are solved, solved by that. You're forced into the present moment by circumstances greater than you or you're given the opportunity. Not everybody uses it as an opportunity when they're in that cycle, right? They might fight against that. They might refuse to learn or refuse to open, but life gives you this opportunity to reflect. You know, it pauses your outer world. Usually there's a pause, you can't go to work. Suddenly you can't get out of your bed and you're there with your mind and your heart and you have to deal with your emotional body. And, and to feel, and then that feeling, we can learn, we can let go. We have an opportunity to really face, you know, really face the darkness and, and turn toward their emotions that are sort of in the underworld of our heart sometimes. Neuroscientist, Dr. K. Tai. The exercise of thinking about common goals whenever you're going through a conflict helps you to to maintain empathy and connectedness, connectedness to this other model rather than it's a, a framing of, of us versus them, which is very, you know, where we have a survival mindset of, of 
of scarcity in which, in which we need to compete for this limited resource and it's a zero sum game is a very you know different mindset than there's a there's an abundance of resources and we can cooperate to be able to access them the most of them author and poet michelle t all of the you know hype that forgiveness gets you know th- those things are true it's it's nice not to have that weight of resentment kind of burning in my stomach the 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 ways in which me and my ex didn't meet up or if there were things about our dynamic where i was i found that i found lacking i was almost sort of like well that's so you know and life goes on you don't get everything with every package so i i had a sort of philosophical attitude towards it but now that i am paired with somebody who fulfills all these different areas of my life it's really awesome i mean it's it's really great and it feels like a return in a funny way to a person that I was when I was younger. Um and I do I am aware all the time that you know this that my marriage had to collapse and die for this other relationship to be able to take root and grow. So, you know, I I certainly wouldn't change anything. It led to this incredible situation where I'm treated treated so well and seen so wholly, you know, so holistically. In the end, Michelle ended up with someone who loves her in a new way and maybe that wouldn't have happened had she not experienced this breakup maybe she wouldn't have had the foundation from which to recognize a solid partnership because of the challenges the conflict she faced in relationship with her previous partner and everything she learned from that Conflict and challenge is often a pathway to insight. Writer and meditation teacher Sabine Silase. My first major split that felt like a divorce even though we weren't legally married, coming on the heels of having worked in refugee camps and witnessing for the first time the just massive devastation of war up close. I think both of those were huge perspective shifts for me. and allowed me to zoom out to just the variety of suffering that um people experience perspective is kind of the ultimate feeling of belonging <laughs> because it's sort of this macro view it's a zooming out that allows you to be part of a much bigger picture rather than a zooming in that collapses things into that sense of isolation it's not so much a uh, well a comparison of like oh well i'm i'm better off than than this person or that person or this situation or that situation but more so there is this great hum- human capacity to go through difficulty and it's those people who i met in the camps who had suffered you know to me unfathomable amounts of violence and devastation and still had intact their generosity and compassion and great wisdom and forgiveness and love that really helped me connect to those same qualities in the midst of my own suffering Sabine suffered not only through this painful breakup but it was also around this time 
that she discovered her body was in conflict with itself. My diagnosis came about a year and a half after I came back from working in refugee camps in West Africa. So it's not that I hadn't witnessed death or seen atrocity that affected others, but again, when it's in your inner circle, when it's not external to you and and your world, either through a headline or through a reality that might be happening around you but not to you, I think it... it I don't want to speak for, for everyone and how it affects, but I think it, it just sort of jostles you in, in what you think is certain about, about life and, and, and what makes sense. To me, the gift is not cancer so much as, as life. And life includes cancer, but it also includes dancing and joy and singing and sorrow and loss and grief and beauty and so yes cancer is a gift but only because it wakes me up to the magic that's already here in everything in life so i think you know the reason why it rubs people the wrong way that kind of statement is because it's ignoring the, the the magic that is all of life. And I think that that's where I would put the emphasis as as the gift is not so much just the cancer. It's, it's really how the cancer wakes us up to the gift that is life. One thing that maybe validates me as a teacher is the fact that I've had so much suffering and I'm able to still honestly say that, right? And I don't hide the difficulties. And so the the impulse is to brace and defend and it, this isn't about not having boundaries around things that are harmful or hurtful but it's really knowing the difference and understanding when we're creating that brittle hard defense um, towards life and and whatever life may bring and realizing that we're also keeping out and guarding ourselves from the beauty and the gifts by opening up to whatever is present. And that's the thing about conflict. It can bring great joy and beauty on the other side if you can work through it. But if we become too guarded, protecting ourselves from feeling the difficult emotions that come with conflict, we might miss out on the opportunity for growth and new possibilities. Again, poet Marie Howe. There's this amazing poet, Andrea Gibson. I read with Andrea years ago, like 12 years ago. I was asked to read in a stage versus page kind of thing. You know, she's an out loud performance poet. It was somewhere in the Lower East Side. I was a new, I was a mother, single mother of a young girl. I was just dragging myself around after seven o'clock at night. You know, I could hardly do anything. And I was walking over there. And as I approached where I thought was the address, there were all these people lined up and like a long, long, long line. And I got to the front of the line and I said, is this the place? And they're like, yeah. I said, what are you all doing here? And they said, we're going to a poetry read. And I said, well, why are you out here? And they said, well, it's sold out. So we're the wait, we're in line to wait to see if we can get in. That was not for me. That was for Andrea Gibson. And when I got in there and Andrea got up and began to say the poems, I understood why, and 
and now Andrea has cancer, and she is in that state of gratitude for everything, and she is no fool. One of the many ways to learn is through art, and in each episode, we invited one of our guests to reflect on an artwork from the Rubin Museum's collection. For conflict, writer and meditation teacher Sebene looked at a painting of the fifth Dalai Lama, Nawang Lopsang Gyatsu, with previous incarnations. The fifth Dalai Lama lived in the 17th century, and he identified himself as the incarnation of the Bodhisattva of compassion, as well as being a fully ordained monk and a political ruler of Tibet. The Dalai Lama was constantly juggling between these roles with their conflicting interests. He was often pulled apart from one to the other. Yet, in the end, he managed to fulfill all his responsibilities as both a religious and a political leader. The painting shimmers in gold and red, and when Sabine Selassie first saw it associated with conflict, she thought she was looking at the wrong image, which in some ways speaks to the malleability of conflict. I don't see conflict in this image. There's so much gold and softness and flowing what came to me when I when I was looking at it without knowing that that's what the theme was was the sense of balance in the picture and the you know sort of the circular um, buddhas that 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 surround them but also the the balance in just the the flow of the robes and the balance of the objects on the table and that sense of symmetry and harmony that exists in it. So it's sort of, for me, evoked the opposite of conflict. So color and form and shape, sound and smells and things that invite beauty are all art to me and spaces that invite that sense of harmony and balance and soothing and these qualities that we're naming about this painting are also things that support me in my own feeling of allowing that sense of wellness and healing. Conflict is a part of a balanced life and life without conflict would not have any balance Ultimately, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it. What feels negative, challenging, painful, conflicting, can evolve into a deeper love, gratitude, a dance with life, and, in the case of Chela Men, an awareness of the necessity for change. Chela Men self-identifies as a deaf, trans, Jewish, Chinese, determined, curious and a hopeful person and he expresses these as an artist, director and author. I think that I don't always view conflict as a negative thing, right? It's a more neutral thing, but it has the power to be something truly beautiful of just being the death, right, of one way of seeing circumstances of something and the rebirth of a new framework or a new 
area to explore and grow in. When I was a lot younger and I had just come out as queer in my small Pennsylvania town in central Pennsylvania, and I was one of the only out queer people in this huge, huge school. For some reason, some girl in my grade had reported me as like watching them change in the locker room when I was absolutely not watching them change in the locker room. And it was just after I had come out as queer. And ironically, I have no idea how this happened, but the principal of our school was a lesbian woman, a white lesbian woman. And she herself came to pull me out of gym class, which I was shocked about because as I mentioned, our school is huge. And it was wild to me that this was like the priority on the list that she herself came down and she pulled me out and she asked me directly, like, am I like watching or taking photos or something of the girls changing, which I absolutely wasn't. And I, to this day, I still feel that same shock inside my body when I think about it. The way that she approached me, I felt that she knew it wasn't true. And I'm sure this had something to do with her understanding of what it was like to be queer in that area. And so it was a conflict that came from indirectly from someone in my community in an interesting form. It was one of the first times that I remember I had to deal with conflict, you know, in my teens because of who I was. I just viewed that as very informative. That moment, like many, I've just tried to find the information within conflict and understand what is necessary to do with this information. Because obviously with any conflict, emotions come up and they can be very distracting. And so I do my best now when there is conflict to allow my emotions to come out, celebrate them, feel rage in the ways that I can released and healthily, I think it was very important for me to understand where these invisible boundaries of danger were, where I was, because it allowed me to be more cautious. I'm not grateful for having to draw those boundaries. I'm not grateful for the danger that I had to feel to draw them. <laughs> but I am grateful that I was able to take the information from that and understand how I could potentially keep myself safe until I had the opportunity to leave. Chalaman left that small town and is now based in New York City. He has dealt with these experiences of conflict and challenge by creating work around them and, as he has said, quote, I strive to intentionally direct my energy toward the future I will make happen rather than any cycles that no longer serve me. Hear, hear. You just heard the voices of Marie Howe, Chalaman, Yongye Mingyo Rinpoche, Sabine Silase, Michelle T, Dr. K. Tai, Spring Washam, and me, Falu. To see the artwork discussed in this episode, go to rubinmuseum.org slash awakenpod. You can continue the conversation by following us on Instagram at Rubin Museum. 
And if you are enjoying the podcast, leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. Awaken Season 3 is an eight-part series from the Rubin Museum. Come visit us in New York City or explore rubinmuseum.org to learn more about the museum and about art, cultures, and ideas from the Himalayan region. Awaken is produced by the Rubin Museum of Art with Jamie Lawyer, Sarah Zabrodsky, Christina Watson, Gracie Marota, and Tenzin Galak in collaboration with SoundMade Public, including Tanya Katanjian, Sarah Conlisk, Philip Wood, Alessandro Santoro, and Jeremiah Moore. Original music has been produced by Hannes Brown with additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. Awaken Season 3 and the exhibition Death Is Not The End are supported by the E. Rhodes and Leona B. Carpenter Foundation, Ellen Bayard Whedon Foundation, Robert Lehman Foundation, and the Prospect Hill Foundation. The Rubin Museum's programs are made possible by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of the Office of Governor Kathy Hochul and the New York State Legislature. Death is Not the End is supported in part by the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you for listening.